Hi, this is Eking Reyes, and you're on The Inspiring Leader. It's a podcast where we talk about things and stuff about life, love, and learning. On this episode, we are joined by Mr. Ilak Diaz, an MIT and Harvard graduate who is a multiple-time TED speaker, founder of the My Shelter Foundation, and the global director of Litter of Light, a global grassroots movement that is lighting homes and lives one bottle at a time. Before we begin with the interview, I would like to greet you a happy Earth Day. 50 years, not my age, please, not my age. 50 years ago, business was really minimax, which is minimize your investment and maximize your profit. You know, at the expense of your employees. So what if you don't give them their benefits, social support systems, about your, you know, society at large, you know? Basta lang, my industry is working. Any injustices of society, let's leave it for society to fix itself. So what about the environment? As long as we can use the materials and dispose of products that are used, the broader leadership is necessary nowadays because... That's how we find ourselves, by exploiting long-term things that take to heal, like the environment. We have released this kind of diseases that were trapped inside ecosystems with many different kinds of animal life that could, through evolution, develop antibodies and release their RNA into a human, which have no resistance. This is because of the way that we've treated the last part, which is the environment. Anyway, my point is, your show is great because we get to listen to different ideas. I actually watched an earlier CNN interview talking about the Good Light campaign. So I think it was about two days ago. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners more about that and specifically how we could actually participate. We endorse the concept that if solar lights or clean energy cannot be built in a village, then they're representatives of a larger society that we will always be dependent on imported, patented, or expensive. That the knowledge how to make microsolar is very important. And so we build solar lights by hand and we also teach the villagers how to make a business out of it so they can rent it out and make money through the rentals. Like one for 50 pesos, you can recharge it the whole week as many times as possible. If you need to charge your cell phone, you can charge it at a cost. And also for public facilities like solar road, we teach people how to make their own solar streetlights and then charge yeah. the house owner. So parang small micro businesses that has to do with clean energy. It just so happens that we were transporting hundreds of solar lights, which we arranged for the Mangyan community. And these are still people that uh, go into the mountains and their hunters gather and slash and burn. Not that I'm making a, you know, it's not not my role here to make a criticism of it. The point is they do and that they need this kind of sustainable energy. We decided since we're locked down, instead of the, it sitting there, can we make messages of hope? People show us their donation and basically uh, give us 15 to 20 characters, including spaces okay. and we'll write it out to them. What was, you know, strategically important is that there's a lot of what is called donor fatigue. And by inspiring people that these messages of hope and their good deeds come out, it inspires other people like sort of a domino. I vowed, as long as we're in lockdown, maybe, you know, for to be extended, that we will constantly, you know, do, do this kind of lights of hope. And a lot of people are following it. Unfortunately, it has to be visible, has to be tweetable. 
you know, uh, words of hope is a very visual medium. So I needed something visual and some changes and something rapid, which is very different from mindset as an analog kind of guy. Oh, by the way, we are the last generation that did not have internet. So, you know, WordStar, all of this was like pixels for me. I could actually see the pixels. Nowadays, the pixels are so small. It's, uh, it's you know, so clear. But there was a day that pixels, you could actually see it on the tube. Anyway, so this is sort of my analog way. It's still a pixel of light, but could form it into letters and images, which my mind, my mind could grasp immediately. How can a normal person like me or my neighbor could actually join the initiative? As long as you donated to somebody, you send us proof of your good deed. As I said, you know, there's, there's, uh, we've raised almost 250000 but a lot of it is for small amounts put together. Don't think about, let the big institutions think about the big finances. I believe in the power of the small, the power of the simple and beautiful, that every small bit, you know, amounts to a lot. Is that if you send this through our PM and Litter of Light, or we have a partner called Good News Filipinas that only exclusively gives the good news. Uh, we can put brightness into this darkness, lack of confidence, insecurity. And, you know, also some people, Filipinos especially, are so used to being finding their shelter, their solace in being around people. And suddenly with this culture of, you know, being up close to people in your yeah. face and talking and, you know, and, and, you know, we're a group. We're kind of a very group mentality and suddenly losing that. Some people uh, have lost that kind of shelter and they have to look mm-hmm. for something new. So in that transition, you know, you want to bring this that not everything's negative. There are a lot of people that are still positive. We're moving forward and resilience and we want to show that in a very visual manner. Go to goodnewsfilipinas.com and uh, there's a contact me, send an email or PM a litter of light on Facebook or litter of light on Instagram. Just send us a post of your good deed and we'll put you in the lineup. Perfect, perfect. As someone who has studied in the best schools, has traveled around the world, being recognized in various ways for helping countless communities, working with celebrities, and even taking selfies with Academy Award winners, (laughs) you seem to be living the dream. But we all know that there is a grind to it and that there is a form of sacrifice that us people, we do not see. So could you tell us about the other side of your life, the grind part of your life, the sacrifices that you've made in order for this to, to happen? Well, I live my life out of, of you know, percentages. I, I do, uh, as with everything, that what is your rate of failure? My rate of failure, believe it or not, is as high as 85%. So for example, I contact 20 people, 10 of them will respond or less, mostly less. Five people you get to talk to and then one person you actually get to meet. This kind of dynamics strengthens you for failure. You know that you have to do the work. But the point is nobody cares about your loss. What they care about is the success. And so three times I applied for MIT and twice I was rejected. And then the last one I got in. But who cares about the rejections? I just had to wait for two years and improve myself. Uh, Harvard was another, I think, another two years. Rejected the first time. And then uh, the second time, I was put on waiting list for scholarship. But who cares? I got through it. You know, that's the price of not being able to have the, you know, the power of money. I had three dreams. 
And the three dreams was studying the best schools, uh, travel to 130 countries, which I thought was at that time when I was, you know, in high school, uh, you know, the world was composed of 130 countries. And uh, the third one was to do a global Filipino nonprofit is because, you know, I had a very embarrassed situation where some international NGOs were always showing Filipinos as, you know, this broken, grimy people that we, they needed charity to help. Mm-hmm. And they would come to my school in Ateneo and, and show this to us. And I would say, why are you showing Filipinos like that? Why don't you show them as progressive, and independent, hardworking, and, you know, that we can encourage them to, you know, to be better. And he says, well, we don't get any kind of donations, amount of donations, when we show the populace as healthy and successful and with capacities. <laughs> you know, one day I'm going to build a global foundation from the Philippines. And I'm going to show you that we're, we also can change the world. Anyway, so it just took longer than I thought. But uh, yeah, so everything I went through, I didn't really have money to pay a million pesos per semester. You know, I, I was willing to wait it out. And pakapal na lang na muka and insistence because I knew that the less money I have in life, the more I have to persevere. And the world did not owe me anything. So through that, I also wrote to the UN. And when I was awarded a UN change maker, I got to meet very influential people and it's escalated. You know, sometimes in the world of doing good, people in the Philippines, they always, we started out as a, as a very charity-based kind of organization where we were just putting out our hands and waiting for manana for us to get money. And that's why Filipino NGOs are such, you know, are, a lot of them are in the garage is because they're waiting for a dole out. When uh, we oriented to social enterprise, suddenly we were making our money independent of the kindness of people. We were creating this kind of business models where we suddenly had reserves to be able to go global, reserves to be able to put $5,000 to stop, start an NGO in some part of the world. So it was really strange to you know, be a Filipino NGO, but at the same time opening up these overseas movements. And some people think that the more you give, the less you have. But in the world of doing good, the more that you do good, the more that the world rewards you for it and gives you capacity to do better. And it's the people that are the terrible ones, the horrible ones, the exploitative ones. Other people will also exploit them. So I'm just saying that there are two, being a nonprofit is not exactly terrible thing people say this unless you are governed by the handouts of people because it's the most embarrassing things to always think to always wait for your next meal or meal for your employees so uh, anyway so that's how it was by believing we can do global good celebrities I, you know we some of my endorsers were sure serena williams i have uh, what you know you ever think how far you can go by being part of a global solution and i say part because i'm really small in the ecosystem but by doing good you come out with an extraordinary capacity to people and hopefully not for social only but that together you can do something better it's actually almost the end of april and we are approaching may which is the month where we celebrate mother's day I read an article actually that came out last year, some sort of a tribute article for your mom. And you actually mentioned there your goals in life. Are there new goals for you at this time? So, you know, uh, by luck, we are the Philippine representative to the World Expo, which was canceled this year, but we're going to be, we're the private sector representative. Uh, right now, uh, the DTI, 
is the government. I'm the private sector, so I'm already in. We uh, the 120 change makers was invited by the expo to be part of the event. So we have our own pavilion. But the Philippine government, the DTI, is going to be positioned in the sustainability sector of the expo, which means some of the greatest minds for sustainability will be there. Currently, they're going to make an Buji Royale. Buji and Royale is going to only make art. So they're only going to get art artists to make an exhibit. So really off-theme. And they're not sending some of our brightest minds there to actually converse with them. But I'm trying to tell them that, you know, the Filipino, especially if this kind of viruses come out, we need to know the best in sustainability. So we need to bring our brightest scientists and minds there and not just curate cur- art curators to spend $5 million on art curators. So what we're trying to do is we are trying to get architects and designers to rethink how will we build in a sustainable future. How are we going to have, you know, in a city that we only have 11 to 15 days of food in case something happens, in case all transport stops. Uh, our farmers are, are average 60 years, 56, 60 years old, and they've just lost the largest crop in history, which is people bought, the government bought canned goods instead of buying fresh food. And these farmers are losing their money because all their crops have, are wasted. Which should have been healthier? We don't know what you know a petrol-dependent society will be next year. If the people that have suffered losses in our farming community can buy seeds again for the next crop. So what I'm saying is we need to restructure our lives to find out what happens if other countries cannot help us. How do we help ourselves? How do we save electricity when more people cannot pay their expensive electricity, electricity bills? Our hoarding. So we should come up with our own food supply. We have this kind of sustainability. We're trying to write the, the, the roadmap for that and publish but it takes a lot of thought because we're so used to the conveniences of a petrol economy that if I needed to buy food, sometimes, you know, I don't get mangoes and these apples are flown in from, you know, where. Uh, that if we have rice, we don't, we prefer not to, to help our small farmers, but we want to buy rice in bulk with ships where commissions can be bigger. So the whole petrol-based uh, idea, us being an island in the middle of the Pacific, with the with the overfishing, we have to rethink our structures. I don't know if you you know I don't know the the, the strong point, but we have a very vulnerable society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even worse is all our OFWs are being sent home. So we cannot afford bad policies when we don't have the cushion of overseas foreign workers cushioning bad decisions. Uh, all of these things have to be thought again in a new world. So we are thinking about. Well, in my own house, you know, we're thinking about, so we just solar panels on our whole roof. Our electricity rate, rate went from 35 to 4,000 pesos. And 4,000 pesos, you know, I have to be a little bit reckless to really ramp it up. So it just shows that we can be sustainable. Did rain water catchment systems around my house for 5,000 gallons. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, so now it's only a lot of drinking water. And so we could really come up with systems where our little money that will be, maybe we won't be making money for a couple of months. We can save it up. We can be very resourceful because we don't know where the world will look like. Those are the things I do every day. Uh, think about that. But we have to, at a certain point, stop consuming bad news, stop consuming other people's opinions, and really get into some kind of action because we should do something. And so that's why this daily grind of doing light 
it's important to me because it gives me some kind of normalcy. But we have to think about budgeting the savings that we have, you know, and, and start talking also about social capital. We're always talking about capital for money. Social capital is about friends, talking to people online, uh, sharing ideas, you know, the old way of, you know, giving some sugar when they lack sugar, you know. So, you know, I'm going back and forth a little bit, you know, giving some food to some of my, my, you know, my relatives and they're cooking for us. So this social capital is coming out. It's very interesting for me to understand that the power of relations, the people, the, the power of relationship with people has been forgotten so much even for me and to get back to it and not only that not only chat but think about the way forward what's the power of the people what's the power of conversing with you what's the power of making massive open online courses how can we you know how can we use this pandemic to warn the future we don't know and so because this has never happened maybe we should write the roadmaps ahead and how come you have a haircut when all of us are having a hard time, you know, these kind of mysteries must be answered. <laughs> I actually did it myself. Sir, as one of the flag bearers of social entrepreneurship in the world, what are your thoughts on the state of social innovation here in the Philippines? So how can we develop more social leaders, social entrepreneurs like you? And perhaps you could touch on maybe the role of the academe, maybe even the role of government. From my experience, the government chooses the academe as its last resort. Some of our best minds are in the academe. Innovation, social enterprises, businesses, where the best Filipino minds have at the time to think. And yet, they're the least funded. For example, you know, when you talk about testing, the first thing people thought about was importing it from all over the world without realizing that we actually had, you know, global standards where even the United States are buying from us. You know, this kind of microsatellites could be used for for tracking movements. We have so much brain power, but we believe so much in other other countries. What I'm trying to say is this, that between academe and the government funding, we should really narrow it so that good ideas immediately become scalable. And not during time of calamity do we, you know, when everybody, every country is running to themselves and don't want to have this international cooperation or they can only have a limited cooperation, that we run to the academe. Uh, you know, we should have an emergency fund for the academe to be able to, you know, to come in. So that disparity between government support and our brilliant academe is a serious flaw that should not come out only at the worst times. I think my interview will not be complete if I didn't ask you about Cicaron and your love for Volkswagen and the outdoors. So where did it all start? Well, my Lolo uh, was a distributor of Heidelberg machines. Our business is in uh, printing. And as with every good Filipino importer, if there was space in your 40-foot container, you would stuff something in that, you know, now it's different because it's per item, but before it's just per container. The thing that would fit is a Volkswagen. So we have the first Volkswagen in the Philippines. And uh, this was, you know, passed to my, from my Lolo. And then it was passed on to me. My father that had a business with, uh, you know, blade sharpening, uh, gave it to me really in a dilapidated state. It was, it had no floor. It was 1100, so there was no parts. But from this, was able over seven years to restore it. But it's that analog thing where you could buy the parts locally. I felt empowered because, you know, I could learn how to put it together. That, you know, you, you sort of you know, realize that you can work with your hands. The dignity of, you know, of, of working with your hands. 
I like the Volkswagen because anywhere I go in the Philippines, if I break down, I can fix it. So basically, the line is, if if you're a Volkswagen owner, you're a mechanico. Because you have to take it into consideration if you leave the house, that at some point, you're going to have to be stuck in the road and have to fix it. But, you know, uh, so yeah, so now I have four Volkswagens. But I use it a lot for my work as well. So with the, the camper, we go to a lot of these conventions and we teach people how to make solar light. And when we're tired, we basically, you know, we basically uh, rest in the camper. So when everybody has a stall where they have to sit down and lean against stuff, we have a whole car. Those you know, three days times, you know, 12 hours a day. Uh, plus it attracts a lot of people. Or when we go use it to go camping and install in villages, I'm too old for, to have a tent. So this allows me to have a comfortable way of doing work. But yeah, I have a convert. I have a convertible beetle and a convertible. Uh, I don't know if you know what a. It's a like a rabbit, like a the water cooled one. And uh, I have a food truck. So now I'm building a food truck. Wow. Out of a beetle because I I know a couple of friends in supermarkets with food that is getting what you would call obsolete, no? So beyond its warranty. So a couple of days before, a week before, I will take it and I will cook it. And, you know, I would like to store it because I have solar solar panels on my roof. So I'll have refrigerators and keep it there. So every time I go up, I can cook for 200, 300 people, maybe with some visitor chefs. But the, the power of the small things, you know, I, I always talk about solutions, but never think of me as somebody who's going to solve world problems. What I'm doing is just my share with my capacity because whether you go into a, a mini mart and that you get food and you give it to some people to feed them or you go around and you give them food or you have more capacity to have like a food truck and give people food or you're you know, a gazillionaire and you can give, you know, tons of money. The point is, Never underestimate the, the power that you you have to give. So whether you want to volunteer or give food. So I, I like the Volkswagen because it's something that I know I can maintain and repair. And I want to use it also for good. So yeah, you, you it, it's going to be a beautiful food truck that uh, I will invite some friends. And every time I have capacity of you know excess food from these uh, supermarkets, instead of throwing it away, I, the only thing that they ask me is I have to burn it. I have to cook it. And uh, chicharron comes from repairing my first camper. And the popular food was to eat pig skin, the fried chicharron. And so uh, I didn't get mad, but I said, hey, you know, it's a beautiful name, chicharron. And lumpia naman is the first thing I did when I got my convertible is uh, I, the, the, this lumpia seller was outside. And so I called it lumpia. <laughs> and so I think the food truck will be spaghetti. I'm 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 thinking, I'm thinking pa, or ketchup. Yeah, I've actually used up my five questions, and I would like to thank you, sir, for being very generous with your time. So before we end, I'd like to give you maybe a a couple of minutes to engage our listeners and tell them your your message for them. So for me, uh, I I think I, uh, during this discussion is know your failure rate. The world does not owe you anything, but opportunities out there. You don't make your own food. You don't make your own big opportunities. You really need to go out there and find it. And it's going to be a lot of, as of course, the world population goes bigger. The higher your ratio of failure till you get it, but just keep on going. So that's uh, the first one. And the second one is if you never, never go, you'll never, never know. Unless you step out of your house and continue a journey or any journey, uh, you really don't know who you'll meet along the way. The journey is probably the solution rather than the end itself. If you don't step out of your house, 
and go on, you know, the, the Aborigines call it, you know, the serendipity walk. Never underestimate the power of coming to a party or a meeting on time or going to conventions or meeting people. I don't know now with coronavirus, but uh, I used to have like serendipity walk and just try to talk to people and realize that the solution is in one of these people or the Rolodex. I think the most important one which is affecting me now is the capacity to be able to overcome distractions. Sometimes you have to put your phone away or you have to get away from Netflix because these are very seductive times. It's very hard. I get really caught up and I see the world move away. So I'm from an analog time where really I only had four channels. And in fact, you know, the worst thing was just as Voltes 5 was about to reveal itself, the final conclusion, it got cut. So, you know, I realized. <laughs> and Daimos. And Daimos. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you know, uh, things, as I said, you know, we have to go out there and you know, whenever the, you know, Voltes 5 ended, I, I had to go out and play. It's the same thing, which is you can only have a certain amount of time and then go out to the wor- the real world because that's where, you know, that's where everything will happen. Thank you very much sir, for sharing that very inspiring message. No? So I've actually learned a lot during our discussion. That's it for today. Let me know what you think. Send in some questions and perhaps share this episode with people you know who might be interested to listen. Till the next episode. Cheers!